0: Welcome to Awaken
1: Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
2: Good morning. <clears throat> now, before I start talking about window number 10, I want to do a little PR for Joel. I just graduated uh, from North Park Seminary and got a degree or certificate. This is for PR for Joel. (laughs) So I just got that, just finished with that in July. And Ken said to me last Sunday, you go out and pick out any of the pottery that you want. And that will be your graduation gift. So, I got to choose this morning, and they were things that Joel had made, and made beautifully. So, I just thought, that's a great idea, to give them as gifts. So, I'm done with my promo. (laughs) Oh, he's at Powderhorn Park later on today. Thanks. So, Window number 10. Let me introduce you to the three gentlemen who um, are featured in this window. St. Paul the Apostle is the largest figure. He was executed in Rome in 67 AD. Now, he had persecuted many Christians before Jesus spoke with him on the road to Damascus. And... Actually, some of his friends might have been his executioners. How about that? Because he was a Roman citizen, he was beheaded, unlike Peter, who was executed the very same day through crucifixion. Now, that's a perk. If you're a Roman citizen, you get to just have your head chopped off. And then there was St. Wenceslaus lived from 903 to 929 AD. He was the oldest son of the king of Bohemia at, at that time. And the king, who was a Christian, because his wife was pagan, sent his eldest son, Wenceslaus to his paternal grandmother to be raised because she was a believer. And Eventually, Wenceslas became king and had a carol written for him. Good King Wenceslas. <clears throat> <clears throat> and he was known for his faith that was worked out in his kindness. Well, his younger brother didn't share that faith nor that kindness so he had his brother assassinated, so he could take over the throne. And then, finally, in window number ten, we have Saint Athanasius. He was the governor of Alexandria, Egypt. From he lived from two ninety seven to three seventy three A.D. Now, when he was governor of Alexandria, Egypt, he uh, there, there was a big divide in how people were thinking about who Jesus was. On this side, people were saying, you know, he was just the best human being that ever lived. And then on this side, people were saying, yeah, but he was also God, fully God, fully man. And it was Athanasius who led this argument And for that, he was was, um, executed so that the other group could come into power. Now, I would like to invite you to stand for the reading of today's scripture. Once again, the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And today's, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I invite you to be seated. In my 30s, I traveled three times into the former Soviet Union. I traveled to Leningrad, what was then Leningrad, and Moscow, and Kiev, and Tbilisi, and Tallinn, and someplace else. And the reason I went there was to help take university students the next step in their spiritual journey. Now. This had to be done in secret, for there was a lot at stake. Not for me. The worst that could happen to me, if I was found meeting with a university student to talk about God, I would have been kicked out of the country and probably not allowed to come back in any time. But my life would have gone on as usual. Well, not so for the people with whom I was meeting If they were discovered meeting with me to talk about God, they could have been beaten, thrown in jail, they could have lost their job, or perhaps never had a chance ever again of a good education. And yet, the vibrancy of their faith was unmatched. One thing that seems apparent in the church is that she is at her best when she is persecuted, not when she is doing the persecuting. I was expressing to Jenna my feelings of inadequacy in addressing this beatitude. I wasn't even totally certain what persecution was. Since Jenna and I meet weekly for her internship. We've had several conversations about this, and I have in, invited Jenna to join me today in our reflections upon a reality from which we seem so far removed. Thank you, Jenna.
0: Thanks, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because... so for those- just joining us this morning. We have been in this series on the Beatitudes in our stained glass, so we've been journeying through each of the windows and talking about each of the figures in the window, and each window has a Beatitude. And so Micah put together this like preaching team for the summer, and I thought, for sure, I would be stuck with this week (laughs) to have to talk about the persecuted, because sometimes when I have very strong reactions to things I don't want to do... (laughs) I feel like I end up getting that. <laughs>
2: I didn't even know this. Yeah, I know. This the all... spirit moves.
0: Uh, <laughs> this is all off the script. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, so I, I thought for sure I would have this. And so I had been thinking about this for months. And then Jane ended up getting it. And, and we were talking about it. And it very naturally just came up in a conversation. Um, and it was sort of this moment of like, why don't you do it too? Um, So here I am. (laughs) Uh, And so this question of like, what is persecution is something that we seem to dance around quite a bit. And can I know what persecution is in the context of a nation that proclaims religious freedom? And part of that question, as I'm interpreting this beatitude, blessed are the persecuted, and wondering if I can know this, came from a story of mine in middle school. So can we just agree that middle school is terrible <laughs> and it's awful it's like humans and the rest are worse <laughs> and i was a weird one i was really weird but i was a fiery 13 year old fiery for jesus that is <laughs> and i had the t-shirts to prove it how many of you know what the t-shirts are yeah, <laughs> My favorite t-shirt that I like to wear to school was one um, that said security, and like, you know, the typical security at <laughs> home, God's protection forever, John three sixteen. 16. <laughs> um, so that was my favorite, and it, I commonly like to pair that with um, this dog tag necklace that I had that said, Jesus freak. <laughs> Like, if you're going to wear the security t-shirt, you need the doctor. It. <laughs> and so I, I wore that t-shirt proudly. Um, and I remember sitting in 7th grade art class next to Blake Marsalek. Sorry if you're here, Blake.
1: <laughs>
0: we, we're not in touch anymore. <laughs> um, and I remember him turning to me and taking in just the coolness of my ensemble. And he started to just rip me shreds. And I don't, I remember, I think I went into like a blackout at the time because I was so mortified. I remember hearing like, Jesus
2: freak,"
0: But I, I really like in that moment, I sunk down in my chair. I was totally shut down, totally called out. And I remember going home from school that day thinking that is what it means to be persecuted for your faith so the next morning was this dilemma, do I put on the Jesus freak necklace again and I remember standing at my vanity and definitively putting this necklace on because I'm not ashamed of the gospel news voice. <laughs> 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 and so this experience that I had um, was quite intense and it, As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but wonder, does my story count? Like in light of people dying and people watching their family members be persecuted and killed in front of them, does my story count? And to call my story persecution, does it take away from the physical suffering that people have experienced historically in the church and presently? For those who proclaim Jesus. And so the weight of that is what I think both of us bring to this conversation of what is persecution? Can we understand it? Um, And how do we interpret this beatitude? And so when we ask this question, what is it? I think it's important to start with the text. And so one of the things we have been doing in our series on the beatitudes um, is interpreting this in a little bit different of a way. I think for most of us, our understanding of the Beatitude is you hear Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, and you try and figure out how to become more poor in spirit, so you are that blessed person. And instead, how we've been interpreting this Beatitude is that it is not about needing to become something to be a part of the kingdom, but rather it is an unexpected announcement of the nature of the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying that this is a characteristic of the kingdom, Mm -hmm. and those ones belong, and this is how I build my kingdom. And by the time you get to this beatitude, blessed are the ones who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, It is as if all of the statements he has been making before come to a head. It is as if he is saying the nature of the kingdom will bring persecution. It's like it's a warning. The kingdom that Jesus announces in startling honesty is a persecuted Mm -hmm. kingdom. Which brings us back to our question, what is persecution? And so in the biblical context, the word used here, uh, the meaning of persecution means to make run or flee, to harass or trouble, to mistreat, to pursue in a hostile manner. I think you can hear this sort of ill definition behind the word Um, But I don't think we really understand what it means until you connect it to the reason for the persecution in the passage here, which is for righteousness. And so to take some time to define righteousness, um, very simply, like its basic definition, is just this idea of something being in a condition in which God intends it to be. Deeply ingrained in this idea of righteousness is justice. Um, Oftentimes in the text, righteousness and justice are interchanged in the translation in the English. And so, if we marry this idea of persecution for the sake of righteousness, I would say it is this. Harassment or mistreatment of one who stands for or encompasses the vision or intent of what God desires something to be. I'll say that again. Harassment or mistreatment of one who stands for or encompasses the vision or intent of what God intends something to be. And so righteousness in its nature seems to challenge what is seen as the opposite of what God (laughs) envisions for creation. And the persecution or the harassment comes as a result of things being made right. And so, if we look at our original audience, both those hearing the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the original hearers who are reading the words of Matthew, violent persecution was very real. Mm -hmm. They lived in a culture where emperor worship was what you did. It was found in your marketplace. It was in elements of entertainment it was expected that you would bring it into your home to pay honor to Caesar and the emperor was what you did in this culture. And what the gospels proclaim is that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so when you say Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, you invite threat to your life in this culture. And I think that when Jesus blesses this threat, which is a crazy thing, he in some ways normalizes persecution. He sets his followers up to expect it, to not fear it, and to remind them that the kingdom of heaven is yours. And so in an attempt to bring this biblical context to today, I would say this. When you stand for what the vision of the kingdom is, the reality of things being made right in the coming of Jesus' kingdom, when you pursue God's vision of flourishing and wholeness for the world, when you stand for what is true, there will be opposition. And the opposition that comes out in the form of harassment and mistreatment where it is not warranted, where it is not deserved, which is a very important distinction to make, this is the undeserved piece of persecution, that's what it is. It can be physical, it can be emotional, and so for sweet 13 year old Jenna, was that persecution? I think it counts, because in my context, when you're 13 years old, the only thing you want is to fit in. The only thing you want is to have cool clothes. The only thing you want is to have friends and be known and to not be different. And that was the purest expression of my faith that I knew based on what I was taught, based on the culture that I grew up in. And so that choice to wear that again and to make myself be different, because I believed this thing and I trusted this thing, that was great,
2: and that was a cost to myself at Northdale Middle School. <laughs> it's not the
0: same as, as losing your life, but in the world of a thirteen-year-old, where being different is the most awful thing that could happen, it worked. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to this
2: next question. Excuse me. Why
0: would a 13-year-old girl have to experience experience something so awful when she was just trying to express the love of God as a weirdo? (laughs) Why is persecution a part of the kingdom?
2: I think first, um, to reflect upon... Where persecution comes from is important. Now, it's easy to lash out at the people who persecute because you can see them, you can shake them, you can yell at them, but they're not the ultimate source of the persecution. I think um, Satan is the source of that persecution. And once again... Persecution of those bearing the truth of God, though it may appear like it's coming from men or women or middle school boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, wow. he's just the pastor. <clears throat> Remember Jesus' words on the cross Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, were these the crazy words of a man that was delirious with pain? Or were they words of clarity for those of us who are his children, especially his persecuted children? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I can a little more easily embrace where the persecution ultimately comes from. But honestly, what is hard for me is, why would a loving God allow his children to be persecuted? This is the giant question and probably will not be answered to your satisfaction nor mine. I think that this falls probably in the category of mystery. Mystery is something that has an answer, but we just don't have access to it yet. Kind of like when you tell your children, when you grow up, when you're a mom and dad, (laughs) then you'll understand. Well, I think this falls in that category that someday we probably will either understand or not care. And yet today, it's a very hard question. It's a very painful question. And so I'd like to offer just a few thoughts. The first is that suffering seems to be in God's loving nature. So why should it not be in ours? Suffering is how Jesus communicated his love for us. And persecution seems to be a sign of God's presence. Yet, how do we explain that to a college student disowned by her family because now she is a Christ follower? How do we explain that to a wife? whose husband has just asked for a divorce because she has become too religious. And how do you explain this to a young man confused about his sexuality and asked by his church to go elsewhere, though he loves Jesus dearly? So... I'm gonna circle back to a question. So we've talked about what persecution is, what it is not, who's the source of it. Um, I wonder, you've kind of answered this, but is there much persecution in our country today? What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. I, uh that in the midst of these conversations that Jane and I were having I feel like not only was just like what is it um, but also like do we know it? What is it is it here, is it in the United States and there is again no easy answer to this and it's a loaded question with a lot to it and here is my thought yes and no Yes, in the sense that there might be people in this very room who have been abandoned by their families, who have suffered the loss of reputation, who have been rejected. Yes, in the sense that there are churches in this nation who have experienced hate crimes. I think a church of primarily minorities probably answer that question a little different than maybe most of us in this room. And no. No in the sense that we are meeting here without fear. I was not afraid to come here this morning. What it took was me maybe not sleeping in. You had to get the kids ready. You had to sacrifice your Sunday morning, maybe when you could have family time or rest, get ready for your week. No, in the sense that I do carry my Bible in my backpack, and not. there's that weird girl coming up. <laughs> yeah. I do homework, okay? I'm in school and studying the Bible. Um, I can carry that in my backpack. I've had it at work before. There's like that's not a big deal. I'm not afraid of my life when I have that, and I can tell people that I'm going to be a pastor when I grow up. And yes, that might make for some awkward social interactions and people feel weird if they say a bad word around me, but, you know, it's cool. <laughs> but that in no way is me, like, fearing my life. Um, I think what is absolutely huge in figuring out, like, if persecution is present and, and how it works um, is really it's the environment that it's in. Uh, it is the environment in which the kingdom of God is being proclaimed. And there are different levels of hostility. It's going to look different in the first century when Jesus was around. It's going to look different in a middle school. It's going to look different in a family. And it's going to look different in a country where Christianity is illegal. And so the yes and no in this question acknowledges that maybe some of you have experienced some awful mistreatment. Emotionally, socially, physically, because of the things you adhere to as a Christian. And the yes and no acknowledges that for many of us, we have no idea what it is like to profess Jesus when there is a constant threat to your life. We have no idea what it is like to watch the people that you love be killed in front of you. We have no idea because that is not our for the majority of us. And the yes and no in this question is sensitive to our brothers and sisters who are expressing their faith in extremely dangerous and hostile conditions. To acknowledge that where I live is not where you live. And so for Jane and I, I think especially Jane, this took on an entirely new meaning when Jane received
2: Earlier this year, I received an email that took my breath away. The Boko Haram had visited a college campus in Kenya in the middle of the night. They lured students out with the promise of protection. And they particularly targeted the Christian leaders on campus. And then they murdered These college students in front of their friends. Well, the email I received was from a colleague from my Campus Crusade for Christ days. Bob said that one of the Christian students targeted was the young woman who gave leadership to the Campus Crusade group there of 20 students. What caught my breath was this we were so similar opposite sides of the world, but we both were leaders in Campus Crusade, on our campus. We both had parents. We both had siblings. We both had great hopes for our future. And all of a sudden, the world became small.
0: Sometimes you have those moments in your life where you are required to think about things that you don't normally think about because things like that hit a little too close for comfort. And so this final question that we would offer this morning and um, ask you to reflect on, why do we care? (laughs) Which I know that that is maybe harsh, Of course we care for people who are suffering unwarranted persecution. Of course we do. And if you Mm -hmm. are anything like me, you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and do what it is you do on a Monday. You're going Mm -hmm. to go to work. You're going to get the kids up. Maybe the kids will get you up. Maybe you get a day off. And this idea of this suffering that is happening across the world, and maybe even in your neighborhood, is not an idea for some. It's a reality. And so we ask this question, why do we care? Because chances are tomorrow, there are going to be things demanding for your time and attention that might not include this conversation.
1: And so the main thing
0: I want to say in answering that question, why do we care? Has to do with the church and how we think about the church. And so when I say church, I very simply mean every single person on the planet, presently and historically, that lives their lives in belief and practice, seeking to witness to this wild claim that Jesus revealed God to creation in his life and death and resurrection. And that in his life, death, and resurrection, God has inaugurated the kingdom that invites humans into a new way of being and a new way of living, that we have a new way of relating to one another and relating to God through forgiveness and reconciliation, and it is the church that is birthed from this common profession of what we understand to be true. So, when you affirm this reality, you are given this corporate sense of identity. And I don't think if you grew up like me, you were taught that it's like you and Jesus. And then you have friends that think the same way. I don't think a very common way we understand the church is like, you are ushered into a corporate identity in addition to your and so, there are many images and pictures all throughout, scriptures that, all throughout the scriptures that reflect this. And the most helpful one for me, that Paul uses over and over and over again in the New Testament in Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, um, is this idea of family. And so, we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. It's a powerful image that we are chosen into the family of God and we share this identity we have this common thing running through our veins. And now this is not a commentary on like how all humans share relation because we're all humans. This is strictly to look at, as the church, how do we relate to one another? And I would say what we see over and over again, it's family. And the reason family is so helpful for me personally is because it allows maybe for some dysfunction (laughs) and it allows for maybe some relational strain and there is this sense of duty when it's your family. So no matter how broken your relationship is with fill in the blank, there is still a sense of like, that's my brother. And so all of this to say, is that when we understand our identity corporately as a church as a family and we connect it to persecution when someone is in the family is suffering it touches us it hits home for us and i would say that it deserves our attention in this moment to acknowledge that there are people in our family who are suffering or the name that we share. The final piece I would like to mention about the church has to do with when the church historically has been at its best. Mm -hmm. Historically, the church is at its best when it is the one enduring the persecution, not the one inflicting it. Mm If Jesus is announcing a persecuted kingdom, and the church is a part of the kingdom, it would seem that when the church is experiencing persecution, it's doing something right. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: They are doing the work of participating in God's vision to restore the world and to make the world what it was intended to be. The voice of the church has authority to speak when it is suffering that it doesn't have when it is not. There is a different voice that comes when you are on the bottom and being persecuted. You are heard differently. And so as we transition into this next um, piece of our service, I'd like to invite John, Mark, and the band to come up here. And in this moment, I would just like to say we choose to care. Regardless of what you do with this tomorrow, we choose to take time and energy to acknowledge and honor our family who are being persecuted all throughout the world. Those who stand faithfully and pursue diligently the kingdom of God on earth and their desire to see the world made right.
2: We are going to take um, time for silence at this point. And what I would like you to consider is this question. What does it mean to be a part of a persecuted kingdom? What does it mean to be a part of a persecuted kingdom? After our time of silence, Micah will come and introduce the next part of our service.
0: Let's pray. You are the God of a beautiful kingdom. God, I ask that your spirit would open us up today. To those who are suffering, to those who are being persecuted, I ask that we would see the life that you bring from that. Thank you for the ways that you strengthen and empower and care for the least of these. Help us to be present to your spirit as we ponder what it means to be a part of this persecuted kingdom, God. In the strong name of Jesus.
1: As we've been thinking about these last couple weeks in this series, uh, we're trying to figure out a way to respond. Uh, hopefully, as the weeks come on, the, it'll make more sense, but um, we just kept thinking about this uh, this phrase, curia liaison, if you know this, um, to, uh, I think it's Latin, and it's Lord, I have mercy, and for thousands of years, the church has been praying this prayer. Monks uh, pray this prayer all day long while they do their work. Um, and when they wrote masses, a lot of times this was some of the uh, the material they would use. So John's actually written a refrain that he's going to teach us, and we're going to sing that, and then close with uh, with one song. So I'll ask you to stand, and John will teach us this uh, this refrain, and then we'll uh, close with a, a song together. Mm-hmm. So I'll sing this refrain uh, once for us. And we'll join in together and sing it uh, together. And then uh, as we sing it, uh, the final time, the words will change just slightly. As we close, uh, we want to uh, offer a, a prayer together. And so uh, I'm going to have uh, a couple of people. We're going to read this in a couple of different languages, actually. We have four different people who are going to read uh, a responsive prayer, recognizing that the kingdom of God is, uh, is everywhere, all around the world. And so the, uh, uh, on the screen, you'll see the, the language that's being spoken. In the leader part, Alia is going to lead the all part. And we'll pray this as a blessing as we go. So,
0: Deus de compasão. Ouça exclamações do Seu
1: povo.
0: Lord, comfort those who suffer us. serca tych, którzy mają w sobie gniew.
1: Dios de amor, buscar el espíritu de los contra. Lord, receive us all when we have strength. God, Allah,
0: führe uns zu einer besseren Zukunft.
1: God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are present in the midst of joy and in the midst of suffering. And we pray, God, that you would teach us to be with, in a way that only you can teach us as Emmanuel, to be with those who suffer in your name. Uh, so, God, we ask for your grace and your peace. For this community, for all those who worship you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash Community Or on Twitter at Community See you next time.